Welcome to the Life is a Ceremony podcast by Petiti Institute. We're inspired to share practical insights to engage everyday life as an evolutionary journey. Every moment is an opportunity to practice. If you would like to send us a question or a comment or a donation, you're welcome to visit www.paititi-institute.org. That's www.paititi-institute.org. In this episode, Roman Hannes touches on unconditional love and practical wisdom versus shamanic tourism as well as the union of complementary opposites in nature to awaken the highest potential within oneself. And today's topic is practical wisdom that is applied to the critical times that we live in the modern world today and that the ancestors have left us as a heritage to share. And what I find useful in my experience working for the past two decades with the indigenous traditions is that these traditions have been specifically developed in order to shine the human spirit in the face of adversity today. This is quite interesting because in our modern world, focus more is on uh, finding ways to distract ourselves from the adversity. And we have the entertainment industry and the politics, and it seems like today they're becoming more and more one and the same. Then. Somebody else has responsibility to deal with the issues. The life is out of our hands, where in the ancestral times, people really engaged with their life and meaning and all of the experiences, and it was all interconnected, and then being able to see the higher purpose or the bird's eye view from the experiences that we have instead of random situations that we have to just somehow cope with then all of life becomes a training ground or the way that the ancestors related to it as an evolutionary playground. And that's quite a big shift from the times that we live in today and <laughs> change of perspective. A small change of perspective can make all the difference in the world and then that allows the human experience to, to fully unfold be cohesive and coherent in our lives. So in my experience, and I can only share from my own experience and what I found beneficial uh, throughout my own life and adversities that I have encountered. So initially I came to the Sanction traditions because I had an incurable in the modern medicine, in the allopathic medicine condition uh, that was in my intestines and it's considered to be chronical and in many cases terminal and so I was not interested in just uh, something to distract myself or to entertain and the tendency of our modern culture is to bring everything into the realm of entertainment and even the indigenous traditions are now getting diluted and as performance shows so that uh, people can have some kind of an experience, but then often there is not a way to bring that experience into everyday life because the indigenous traditions, they bring us into states that are so vast and much greater than uh, the narrow tunnel vision that we're cultivating today. Then when I had that condition and I was looking for real people who had dealt with their own challenges in life, 
who dealt with their own adversity and I wasn't interested in just someone who is wearing feathers and acts during a certain portion of their life that has to do with the ceremony work, for example, and then uh, completely gets disconnected from that in everyday life. And even at that time, 20 years ago, there was quite a bit of the kind of sideshow attraction for tourists that was available and today even more so. And for me, what was meaningful is to connect with real people and not from a place of worshipping, but from a place of recognizing my own truth in the elders, in the indigenous healers, and to see it reflected in them on a much deeper level. But it doesn't mean that it's not connected to one's own inherent truth. And it is that spark of aliveness that I was reminded of by the indigenous people that I intuitively longed for throughout my life and then to empower, to recognize that in our today's world there is not much place for innocence, for childlike nature in um, everything that is moving so fast-paced and so many things are happening and then it's this presence, the receptivity, the awe and the wonder that the present moment brings and how to really encourage that present moment throughout all, all life circumstances. So it is this healing of the wounded innocence or sometimes it's referred to in the indigenous societies and the healing work as the recovery of the soul, the recovery of the indigenous soul that is present within all of us and many of our elders share how we're all indigenous to Mother Earth. And no matter where we come from in the world, we are born without an identity, without any kind of religious or political affiliation. And it is that openness and the innocence that is so honored in the ancestral wisdom traditions. And they consider to be wisdom traditions because it is that wisdom of the beginner's mind. It's the wisdom of the child that is experiencing the world in so many different facets and then finding meaning and connection with the immediate life experience. So the basic cosmology of the indigenous cultures is both from the Amazon and the Andes and also other parts of the world and our institute works with the development of intercultural bridges and supporting the intercultural bridges through the essence of aliveness, through the essence of being. So essentially it's not being someone or trying to get somewhere or accomplish anything, but it's simply being. And it is that being itself that is the realm of infinite possibilities in our lives. And so the basic cosmology of many ancient traditions has to do with the Mother Earth and the ancient traditions they work with the animistic way of life, uh, the approach to all life experiences outside of us and seeing that they are reflecting the deeper meaning of human experience. And so then Mother Earth is one of the most ancient symbols for human existence and many if not all ancient cultures on Earth came from the spiritual path of worshipping the Great Mother the great mystery 
the womb of creation. And so the Mother Earth is one aspect of that. And then it's the complementary opposites in these traditions that work together. And so then the Father is represented by the universe or by the Son in the Indian and Amazonian cultures. And so the love relationship between the Mother Earth and the Father-Son or the Father-Universe is what gave birth to all life on earth and in, in everywhere beyond earth as well and the father son represents the light of consciousness and then them coming into union is the light of consciousness that is continuously discovering greater and greater depths of the heart of the potential of love that is present in our lives and so then all life forms came from that cosmic relationship it's the union of the mind and the heart the consciousness and love or in the tibetan lineage that we work with is the union of wisdom and compassion and the wisdom in ancient traditions as i mentioned is the wisdom of aliveness the wisdom of being and it is more considered to be the feminine qualities the wisdom of the mother that cares for the child and knows exactly what the child needs at different times if the child is crying and screaming and knowing if it's time to change the diapers or there's something else that is happening or it the child needs the um, the breast milk so the wisdom and then the compassion is the active application of that is really the ability to honor the heart's wisdom with the activities that we engage with throughout our lives. And so as a result of that relationship, the childlike nature appears and the complementary opposites in the universe, they're here to support the childlike nature, just like we have the night and day and the sun and the moon. So there are all of those complementary opposites and they're also present inside each being. The childlike nature is what channels the universal love from the great mother to the great father. And the main purpose of our existence, according to the ancient living wisdom traditions, is to be a channel of love, to honor the lower and the higher, to recognize how there is, if there is no mud, then there is no lotus in our lives. And without all the challenges and adversities, then the heart cannot blossom and open up to our own experience and the experience of others. The main foundational pillar or cornerstone of the ancient traditions that we work with is reciprocity and interconnectedness. And so it is through this ability to open the heart to one's own experience that allows the evolution to take place because then it's possible to relate to the experience of others and to the challenges and adversities that if we look deep enough not so different than our own challenges and adversities and so then through that we can also support ourselves and others and also we can learn from others experience and how great it is that there are people in the world that are much happier than I am and that it's possible to learn from them rather than feel envious or jealous about 
And in these traditions, the happiness is not something that comes randomly, like winning a lottery ticket or something. But uh, happiness is cultivated intentionally through recognizing the higher meaning and purpose of our lives. And so in that way, it's quite meaningful and beneficial and essential. And so then through this approach to life, awakening oneself as a connecting link to love, to the higher purpose, to deeper meaning in life, and then starting to recognize it in every life situation, which allows one to continue to stay open to the experience. And through my own life situations and the debilitating health condition that I used to have 20 years ago before I came to the Amazon, then I also saw that the most miserable and my health condition involved a lot of physical pain and all kinds of health issues involved with that. But even greater, and I've experienced quite a bit of physical pain, but even greater than the physical pain was the not knowing, not seeing a higher meaning or purpose to the health condition that I was experiencing, to what I was dealing with at that time. Then that was the worst, not seeing a higher purpose to the challenges, to the struggles that I was having. And with the help of uh, the elders in my life, then I started to recognize the higher purpose to all of my experiences and especially to the ones that I did not like that were very challenging in my life. And then seeing the higher purpose, I was able to actually go through greater challenges and greater adversities and actually be much happier through it. Where before I would experience a lot of misery because I did not see what it was about and what I could learn from that and the qualities that could be cultivated. So essentially the connection is to oneself, is to one's own inherent living wisdom. The living wisdom traditions from around the world, they create the space and they support the space for each of us to recognize the inherent living wisdom in ourselves through our own life experience and we all have that. So just the ability to be able to comprehend what is being spoken or just the language itself already entails quite a bit of life experience from a child that needs to learn how to be receptive, how to relate, how to develop connection and relatedness with the surrounding environment and then have all kinds of challenges like even being able to stand up or being able to make coherent sounds already takes quite a bit of life experience. And so we all have that experience. We've all been struggling since being born, even just to learn how to walk and fall down and get up again and fall again and continue engaging with the spark of aliveness, with the spark of freedom that allows us to keep getting up to keep standing up and being thrown by life circumstances and not losing that spark. So essentially, when we are children, it's so much more natural to our lives to keep getting up and keep falling down and then smiling and continuing. And it's that spark of aliveness and the spark of freedom from the moment of being born. Like with my own children from the moment that they are born, they've shown 
this willingness to be free and wanting to do everything by themselves even when they cannot do anything even the most simplest functions for a newborn child like passing gas through the system they need to be burped and tapped and this something that we all have to go through this experience of feeling totally helpless not knowing and not needing to earn love or be worthy of it and then of course getting entangled in conditional world and starting to try to earn the recognition the approval the love and then losing that unconditional part of ourselves so in these traditions we are born in complete support we are supported completely and just of of course we all have challenges with our physical blood family and relatives but just to grow up and be born into this world completely helpless there has to be a basic care and guidance so that there can be innate consciousness of oneself and the ability to operate in the world and so we do need that external connection and support as we are born into the world and at first we are born as consumers of unconditional love and then gradually we start to learn how to be generators of that unconditional love for ourselves and others and in these traditions it's in some ways related to the process of self-parenting recognizing once there is already a certain maturity and ability to navigate life on one's own and do some of the basic life functions and learning how to tie one's own shoes and so then gradually then learning how to self-parent everything that has not been received everything that one has longed for and tried to get approval and support from the outside world to a certain degree we are able to receive it and then in many ways we can only get it from within and it is this power of the heart the wisdom of the heart that we can learn how to trust and abide in and so in the ancient traditions the innocence of the child is honored above all else and it involves the essential human qualities that we all learn from being in the womb and those are the qualities of generosity of patience of uh, joyful effort and the focus on the higher purpose in life that allows one to go through challenges that may be too much just for one person to deal with and if i just do it for my own sake then it's not enough motivation but if there is a connection to the greater whole and a greater meaning then it becomes possible and so the evolutionary path has to do with this curiosity and willingness to discover and explore and be supported through that process right there has to be a certain balance in life in the amazonian tradition uh, for example the elder shared with me it's the path of remembrance so remembering that original spark remembering that original connection to the greater love and the greater support and the mother earth is always here supporting us under our feet often we take it for granted but like a mother no matter what is happening whether the child is crying and screaming or laughing and 
jumping from excitement, the Mother Earth is continuously supporting us under our feet. And it's that unconditional support, no matter what is happening. And so the world is here to support us, to carry us. It's not here for us to carry it on our shoulders. And then, of course, learning how to do our part within that. So just like a child loves to be useful. And in today's world, the child is often separated from the activities of the parents. And in the indigenous societies, the parents bring the children whatever they're doing, whether they're harvesting or building something, and the children are always present wherever the parents are and from very young age, then they're giving some small tasks that they can support and be useful. And that is quite uplifting and fulfilling for the children that they are included, that they are a part of a greater whole. And that's something that I feel in today's world could be also benefit a lot how we live our lives and how we engage with our inner screaming child and the outer children in the world. Often today, because of this innocence that is not so honored and sometimes is even looked down upon, if I'm innocent and tender and vulnerable, somebody can take advantage of me and I have to close down, I have to put some kind of a front or an armor not to get hurt, not to be manipulated. And then in the beginning, it's created as a certain fortress around one's own innocence. And then it can also become one's own jail, where even oneself is not able to tap in into that tender, vulnerable and innocent place in oneself. And so the journey of remembrance is to uncover that and learn how to trust in that. There is a breathwork practice that we work with that I've been initially introduced into by the Witoto elder and he himself learned it from the Yanomami elder from the Yanomami nation in the Orinoco Basin. And in that practice, it's the wisdom of the deer. And the deer is representing the heart. It has that tender quality and very easily initially scared off the deer, the baby deer. In the beginning, it's very small horns that are very soft and tender and easily injured. And it's related to this innocence inside each one of us. And then when the deer grows up, then this little bump that is so soft is turned into this powerful rack that the deer can protect its young ones and its family and the tribe. And just like our own innocence that initially is so small and it's this little spark of the child that eventually can transform into the power of compassion, the power of the heart to encourage and support others and not to take things personally so much. So it's something that it's up to each one of us to learn how to trust more deeply because it's that innocence that often we don't see confirmation of in today's world around us and then starting to tune in into it and honor the innocence in our lives and be uplifted through that and see how actually it's that ability the openness itself that openness of the child when it's reaffirmed when it's encouraged when it's honored is what gives 
birth to the highest potential in ourselves and others. And so, just through not trusting in our own truth, that confusion and suffering arise. And then seeing how hurt people hurt people, and then learning not to take it personally, but to actually have compassion and not be a victim in those circumstances. And see how often people are doing something to protect them, and they're using the examples of what they themselves gotten scared by. It's kind of like this innate, instinctual human behavior. It creates a certain vicious cycle where if I cannot see the deeper meaning in what scares me, then I get lost in it and become enslaved by those experiences, feeling the illusory protection of it. But actually in these traditions, the greatest protection is known to be the complete openness. It's just like the power of the sun that radiates outward and does not need to protect itself because there is this well-being, the spark that is very bright and naturally this state of well-being creates a protection for our lives. And then if I struggle and I constantly need to fend off the pressure from the outside, then it takes a lot of energy and effort and there's no time left for the inspiration, for the aliveness, for the evolutionary play. Or in the Hindu tradition they have the term Lila, which is the divine play. It's not a random, meaningless play, but it's the, the evolutionary play of the child. And in today's neuroscience they are discovering just now how children are such fast learners because they play with the experience of learning. They engage with everything through so many angles and perspectives and the touch and the smell and the eyesight and the hearing. And so they experience everything through so many different facets. And then that allows a much deeper connection and understanding of what life brings to us. So the essence of the child, the wisdom of the curiosity and wonder, the openness, the beginner's mind, that is so essential in our lives and not to lose sight of that. And even with my own children, I'm a five-year-old father, so i just been born as a father five years ago, that's the age of my oldest child. One of the elders, uh, initially, when my child was born, shared this wisdom about raising children. He said, yeah, you do whatever you think is best for the child, and at the same time, you keep an open mind considering that whatever you think is best might be completely wrong. And still do what you consider to be best. But stay open and receptive. And my children have been the greatest teachers in my life because of that. Because of opening the heart to my own inner child. And so that was very meaningful in my life. And very essential to continue learning, to continue abiding in that essence within myself and of course also recognizing the parental qualities as well as the self-parenting as I shared in these traditions. And so to shine in the face of adversity, not to look away, not to try to distract oneself and cope meaninglessly because then the child is cursed into a certain rat race of modern society. The kind of survival mentality 
and then there is no time to wonder, to explore, to discover, to be curious, and to play with life circumstances. And so, there are many practices that encourage that, that help to reset our being and come back into presence, come back into the childlike nature. And they don't always have to involve sacred plant medicines, although when people consider the South American traditions, the Indian and Amazonian traditions, nowadays the first thing that comes to mind is the sacred plant medicine ceremonies. And it has an essential place, but it's not the main point in these traditions. And they are instruments that can be engaged skillfully. And actually the cultural context and the perspectives and the way to relate with oneself and get real with oneself is what is at the core of these ancient traditions and cannot be replaced by anything, even by the most mind-altering plant medicine experiences. Consciousness is the main healing agents in these ancient traditions. Everything can support consciousness on its journey, but nothing can substitute it. And so no magical potion in my experience and I had to learn that through my own experience. So doesn't, it's not the quantity, it's actually the quality of how we engage with these ancient practices and perspectives and tools and connect them to our own life experience, make it relevant, make it meaningful. And not just uh, take it on face value and go through the motions. So what has been very essential in my own life, and I keep sharing it with our friends who join us, for different events and practices. My most essential question that I've shared with elders over the years is, what does it all even mean? How does it relate to the challenges that I'm experiencing that other people in the world today experience? And the indigenous people today as well, they have a lot of challenges because they've learned to apply their human essence to a very different environment to a very different situation that the ancestors have lived in. So in ancient times, they've dealt with the jaguars and all kinds of illnesses and poisonous insects in the environment that they live in. And today they have the corrupt government officials and the illegal miners that come into their land. And there has to be a shift to see how the symbols for our lives, for the challenges and the awakened qualities, they change through generations. But the essence of those qualities remains the same. So then this is something that we all have a, a unique part to play in. I'm friends with the kids of the elders that we work with and they're also quite grown up today and they've chosen, some of them chose a different path than their parents who are the elders in the indigenous traditions and they've been focusing really on shifting the symbols while maintaining the same values so they engage in our today's society in a different way they don't just do the old ancient rituals in the same way but they're learning how to adapt it into the world that we live in today. And I find a meaningful metaphor, also one of our elders shared how there is a ceramic vessel that is the culture and the vessel holds the essence of human potential. 
And then with different generations, the vessel has to change in order to apply to the real challenges that are happening in today's world. If I'm doing rituals, how to face jaguars, and at the same time, I'm dealing with everyday wear and tear and needing to pay the bills and run around and deal with the road rage, then I may not be able to relate the road rage to the jaguar experience and then, and, and then ap approach it more objectively in a heart-centered way. But then if I can start to see the meaning of that ancient symbol and how it relates to the life circumstances today, then it becomes very effective and very meaningful. So this is something that also it takes some personal work. It's not like instruction manual that is provided and just follow the steps and everything will work out. But there has to be an individual ingenuity and getting real with oneself and seeing that those are the challenges, those are the problems, and it's not wrong. In these traditions also, there is no right and wrong. There is more ignorant and more wise, but ignorance is an essential step towards wisdom. If I cannot be young and stupid first, I cannot become old and wise later. So in that way, there is no right and wrong, but there is ignorance and wisdom, and the ignorance ha is the seed of wisdom, if I can open up to it and then learn through experience, learn through my own mistakes and mistakes of others. So again, it's the reciprocity and the interconnectedness that is so essential to human experience, even if we look at the ecosystem that we live in. So we're all interconnected through that. And then when we harm ourselves in our immediate environment, that impacts everything else in our lives. And when we are happy, then the people in our lives are also happier. So then there is a certain continuation of this spirit of love that goes through generations continuously. So there's quite a bit already in what I've shared so far, and I'm just dipping the toes in the water, so to speak, in uh, today's talk. And I also would love to hear some of the questions and reflections from our audience about this topic and maybe people who've engaged with us before. So if you have any questions or comments, please share them now and I'll continue to speak and reflect on some of the questions and perspectives that have arisen. So one reflection that a friend Joel shared, a consumer of unconditional love and then going from that into the generator of conditional, unconditional love. And so this is quite meaningful, it's the wisdom of nature itself, and that's how also the indigenous wisdom societies have patterned these pathways, these reminders, the traditions, they're meant to be reminders. And so in the beginning there is a womb, and the fetus inside the womb, there is already life present in the fetus, but not so much self-awareness or self-consciousness, and then receiving unconditional love in the womb. The mother and the child are inseparable from each other. And whatever the child needs is instantaneously provided, even the need to say anything about it. And so there is this nurture and protection and safety, and not a worry in the world. And it's through this experience that the fetus develops. And that, not to say that it's not easy, 
because literally needing to grow new limbs that is quite painful all the neural connections are developing and it's the kind of pain that is much greater than we as adults are able to bear and it's because there is so much more openness to unconditional love that support us through the greatest pain that we can experience and it has been proven through neuroscience that actually even when the small children the, the teeth are growing it's much much greater than the pain barrier than adults can bear with and the children are so much embraced and connected even if not through the physical parents and experience but they're still much more connected to the memory of the womb and the unconditional love that was present there and so that is very essential and very meaningful through these traditions to return into that unconditional love experience that at first we receive as consumers we're not able to generate it and we taste it this is who we are we are born as love we are born to be loved we are born to love and we are born to continuously be love and it's something for us to remember on the innermost level we are intuitively drawn towards that and then from that experience where everything is provided unconditionally then we are born out into the seemingly separate world where everything is not provided unconditionally from the outside and little by little there is something called womb separation syndrome we all have to go through it as human beings and then gradually as we go through that we start to separate ourselves from external reminders of that unconditional love and start to generate it within ourselves and so that's the essential wisdom of nature to awaken that potential at first through just being receivers of that through tasting it so seeing how nothing tastes like unconditional love nothing compares to that and that's the greatest freedom where there is this just natural being that is naturally tapped in into one's own capacity to love and in these traditions love and compassion is not something we have to force ourselves to feel but to just be is naturally involving love and compassion so when we are not being when we are doing when we forget that we are human beings and we become human doings then love and compassion is clouded it's still there and it may not be the fluffy love and compassion or only one side of it but the greatest love in these traditions is the love without pity it's like the great mother that wants her children to be independent to be free to engage in life's journey on their own accord and through each of our potentials and then learn how to support each other through that so that is very essential to remember and to cultivate in our lives and then the happiness becomes sustainable it's not the happiness that is bound to pleasure in these traditions but it's the happiness that is bound to the open heart that can be present with all the ups and downs of life with all the pleasures and pains if we just attach ourselves to pleasure then inevitably it's coupled by pain literally we are wired to feel pain we have all those neural receptors in our being and that is also a natural expression so of course if 
happiness is only attached to pleasure, then it's not lasting. But if happiness is connected to the open heart, and it's the happiness, I can open my heart to all the experiences of life. And then all the experiences of life can nurture the heart. Some experiences, they challenge the heart, and some experiences inspire, but both are necessary for the heart to awaken and blossom. So that is very essential. Another one is nothing tastes better than unconditional love. I say sometimes nothing tastes as good as freedom also. And of course, it's very interconnected and related. And it's that taste of unconditional love, of uh, un limitless freedom to be open, to feel everything, to engage with all life experiences, with awe and wonder that brings the greatest joy also in my experience. So I find that this is something that we can apply in everyday life experience and existence. So someone said, it sounds to me like stay in. So yeah, stay in your own light, in your own heart calling, and then utilize the mind to engage with it. In our modern world, sometimes in the spiritual paths, the mind is perceived as an enemy, but in the ancient traditions from the Amazon, the Andes and the Tibet, it's really the union of the mind and the heart. So the, the heart is the compass, and then the mind navigates in the general direction that the heart is pointing to. So that is also something that is very essential to stay in one's own inspiration, in one's own connection to the higher purpose of life and not to lose it in the midst of the trenches of everyday experience. So, yeah, that, that is the greatest connection in com is complete openness and then seeing how this world is also like the womb. It's the womb of conditioned existence. And the womb can also be limiting to one's own potential. It's just like the cocoon of the butterfly. Is the cocoon preventing the butterfly from being born? Or is it necessary for the butterfly's evolution? And in that way also all of the challenges, all of the difficulties in our lives, the struggles, the adversities, they are in a way preparing us. They are here to encourage those essential human qualities. The patience, the perseverance, relatedness, tolerance, kindness. So the challenges can be that encouragement if we choose to be conscious with them. It's up to us. So one question that I see coming up, during physically or emotional painful times, how did you navigate these moments? And second, how would the indigenous navigate that today? So during the physically and emotionally, so initially, of course, I did not navigate those experiences very consciously and that brought very, even greater struggle and pain and suffering into my life. And then I've, I was guided by the indigenous elders to be more patient with my experiences, to not look at them as bad. That is the first essential pointer that I got to see the, the disease that I had or all diseases in general, that they are messengers of nature. It's not some kind of a punishment from God or a curse that I just have to deal with and then there's no meaning to it. And it's totally random. But to start seeing the message in the illness, 
and also within the Eastern healing traditions that I've been studying with as well for the past two decades, there is the same message that is communicated. So in the Taoist healing tradition, they say, for example, in the center of each disease, there is a great love waiting to be discovered. In the Amazon, they have something very similar. They say that a disease is a mother. And when you are able to recognize your life as not something that is beneficial to you, on even on an intuitive level. So the disease, in a way, takes us out of our habitual patterns and helps us return into the original womb state. Initially, in my life, I thought of a disease as something that is wrong, as something that prevents me from dealing with my or engaging with my regular life. Why can't I be normal like everyone else? And I just want to get rid of this disease and forget all about it, and then it would just get worse and worse. And so then my elders started to guide me towards recognizing a deeper meaning. The disease is a mother. She's actually helping me instead of making it difficult in my life, as it seems to my conditioned self. And the help has to do with taking my, me out of a certain generic lifestyle and then pointing to a deeper purpose, to a greater calling in my life. The calling of the spirit in the indigenous traditions, it sounds very romantic, but the elders shared with me how actually it has to do with something difficult in one's life. Someone gets sick, someone experiences a great loss in one's life or great grief, and that's the calling of the spirit. The calling, the wake-up call, the engagement with the hero's journey in one's life. And so the elders started to share with me and I started seeing how the illness was actually this knowing deep inside of knowing, right? Like the tiger knowing inside of me and is pointing that the life that I was intending to live was lacking an inner inspiration and fulfillment and just wanting to be in the same puddle and this generic existence of everyday life that was not fulfilling to a deeper heart calling that the monkey mind was just not able to see. And then the illness was that wake-up call and then starting to see in my own life how that brought me into this soul-searching and this path to find myself, not just to be someone in someone else's eyes. Because that was the experience that I was living before. And so then to find the self-love, to engage in the path of self-parenting and the evolution of the higher self or the connection to the higher self, the honoring of the inner child that engages in this journey and then come out of a certain survival mentality, the scarcity mentality and trying to get external approval. So that was very essential. And then through that, and then starting to recognize, well, I have to really honor the, the inner life and not just my career path outside of me. And then I have to learn to be patient with myself. And at first, the elders that I worked with, the healers that I found, that I felt were more genuine and authentic and were not just doing it as a kind of entertainment industry performance, 
then they put me in a hut in the forest in an environment with other apprentices and patients that they had and then they did not do anything to heal me they did not provide me with any plants and then they just left me there in the hut and would visit me once in a while and they told me just do nothing and at first I thought it was kind of like sitting on the couch and watching TV but they said no 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 they said really do nothing they took away everything that I had they took away my notebook and the pens and the the iPod and whatever I had the books and they said no really do nothing and then after a few days I was just everything was driving me nuts the mosquitoes it was too hot or too cold and the sounds and the humidity and the sweat and and all kinds of things and then the healers they would come and i had a few healers that i worked with that i felt more connected with and then they would come and they would show me those frustrations and irritations and lack of this inner harmony and kindness then that's the real issue and the ill the physical illness is just a symptom of that and i've learned to just project and blame the outside world for all of my inner experiences but in actuality all of those external circumstances they were just pointing to the energies to the emotions that i've never learned to deal with and take responsibility for in myself so then once I started to take responsibility, then they started to engage more with the healing process, but it had to start with oneself first and foremost. Like I shared, it's the really this consciousness that is the main healing agent. Everything can support it, but nothing can substitute it. And then starting to see, well, those are the messages that are coming. I have to learn to be more patient, more generous, more kind, more related to the world around me so that I can heal. And the guidance that I was provided with is to find that happiness that is bound to the open heart with all the ups and downs. And at first I thought, well, I'm going to heal and then I'm going to be happy. But the elders showed me, no, first you have to be happy and then heal and do everything else in your life. So that's something that I can share shortly in terms of uh, the guidance of the elders in my own difficult experiences. And it doesn't have to be a physical challenge. Any struggle, and of course, I shared with my kids, it's been the greatest ceremony of my life. All the thousand ceremonies that I've done before, they were just children's games in comparison to when my children were born. Yeah, all kinds of difficulties and struggles and then seeing how there is a deep meaning and message in all of that and it encourages it those are the challenges that encourage the evolution of inner human qualities in life and so this is something that i can share in that regard and someone sh miriam shared true doing nothing is the path to heal almost boredom well it's actually the boredom is I find a way to numb out and I'm bored, I need to do something, I need some entertainment in my life and why do I need entertainment? Because I may not see how to deal with a certain issue and a challenge and I just want to numb out, I want to disassociate from it, I want to go to sleep 
or I want to go through the hero's journey in a more kind of sideway, precarious, I guess. There is a similar word to that. So where I can watch a TV show with a hero going through their own challenges and I really relate to them, but I don't have to go through my own challenges and I kind of put my own challenges on hold. And so the boredom, in a way, it's kind of like numbing out in my experience. But doing nothing, it's not boredom because I cannot get away from myself. There's specifically in the Amazon, people go into those dieta huts where there is nothing that can distract you from being with yourself and all of the things that are unprocessed and unintegrated. And it's definitely not boring. It's challenging. It's very challenging. It's difficult to just be with oneself. That's why many people in today's world, sometimes they don't turn off the TV. It's playing continuously just to have some kind of background noise so that one doesn't have to face oneself. So nothing emerges from deeper inside. And then it just keeps festering. So, yeah, in my experience, it's definitely not boring. It's also not something that is often pleasurable, but it can become an adventure just to face one's own struggles and then to recognize that the lotus is capable of blossoming from the mud. And so the recommendation to go from starter to more advanced self-parent It's just to choose some time to be with oneself and in the beginning, even just a little bit of time to just take a few deep breaths and to breathe with one's whole being and to appreciate this current moment, to count one's blessings, to spend time in nature. Nature, outer nature can be that mirror for remembrance of the inner nature. And I'm not sure... Uh, the question, do kids do this? Yeah, the kids love to just explore and be with themselves and play uh, on their own for hours at a time sometimes and engage with their imagination. And you can start looking more deeply into it that it's not random. And often the children, sometimes they go through these periods where there's a lot of tantrums and hissy fits and then they do kind of like this repetitive certain things just over and over and over again, like learning how to open and close the door many, many times over again. And actually in uh, child psychology, those situations when the children start to have all kinds of upheavals or certain repetitive learning patterns, that those are the times when there is a huge leap in development. It's like the nervous system is being rewired and the consciousness is activating to a greater degree. And it's just through exploring one's own being, the capacity to be in this reality, to, to play, to engage and be nourished by that. There's something like this natural nourishment, the food. And we can all remember the times in our lives maybe when we were children and playing outside for hours at a time and parents are calling us to come eat and we're not even hungry physically because we are so nourished by life experience by life circumstances and so yeah this is all part of the process and ian shares my mom never let me eat ice cream for dinner is a great protection from sickness and blockage in ability of generating love why is it a medicine for others but it's my greatest poison he is referring to cheese 
So yeah, of course, it's different for different people. And what can be beneficial for one person can be poison for the uh, for another. And everything can be either medicine or poison, depends on how we engage with it. That is also a perspective of the indigenous people that it's not what we do in our lives, but what we run away from by doing it. So then starting to reflect and see, well, you know, I can enjoy something just from my superficial pleasure experience, but nothing tastes quite like freedom. And then if I try to substitute that taste of unconditional love with conditional experiences, then I'm just trying to fill the void. And the void cannot be filled. And then instead of trying to fill the void and never be satisfied, and then trying to feed the void through physical food, for example, and then just getting so sick because the physical body can only contain so much and the void contains boundless amount of space. And so that is something that is quite interesting to reflect on. And so then instead of trying to fill the void, at a certain point starting to recognize that the void is actually the openness of the heart can never be filled. And it's the void that includes all of life in itself and goes much beyond it. And then learning to trust in that mystery of the heart, in the great spaciousness. It's like the pure space pregnant with limitless possibilities within each one of us that is our heart. And so, friends, we are coming to the conclusion of our one hour. And again, this is just dipping the toes in the water and there's so much more to this ancient traditions and for me to this day after over 20 years it's this boundless wealth of ancestral wisdom and experience and then i honor this wisdom from a place of gratitude that i wouldn't have been alive today if it wasn't for this ancient traditions and i wish for this wisdom to continue beyond this generation and then I also see how it's getting diluted in the consumerist mentality of today's world. It's kind of infantile mentality and then trying to bring everything into the entertainment part and then forgetting the deeper part, which is about facing oneself and the journey of self-discovery. So this is something that I wish for everyone through my own life and my own journey doesn't mean that the challenges go away completely and they might even be greater throughout our life but then it's possible to get better at facing the challenges and finding the depth of inspiration and wisdom and relatedness through the challenges of our lives so hopefully this was useful and practical for our friends who've been watching and who will watch from now on and i love you all i wish you well i feel this is the magic of our world that we can utilize the technologies for interconnectedness and the upliftment of each other and the world that we live in. So thank you so much. Please care for yourself and each other and we'll see you soon. Take care. Big hug to everyone. Virtual hug. Thank you, friends. Take care. Thank you for joining us. If you have found value in what we have shared, we welcome donations in order to continue this service. To make a donation or to ask a question, visit our website at www.paititi-institute.org. 
That's www.paititi-institute.org. May all beings be happy and free.